I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, I'm Clive Anderson. Welcome to My 7 Wonders. In ancient times, the greatest structures, the biggest buildings and the most impressive monuments created by mankind were celebrated and listed as wonders of the world. And like days of the week and deadly sins, there are always seven of them. These ancient wonders included the Hanging Gardens of Babylon, the Great Pyramid of Giza and the tremendous Lighthouse of Alexandria. Later lists of more modern wonders featured the Great Wall of China, the Empire State Building, the Taj Mahal. Other magnificent sevens celebrate natural phenomena such as the Grand Canyon and the Great Barrier Reef. But what are the seven wonders you would put on your personal list? That's the question I ask my guests in this podcast. And the guest I'm asking today is Paul Sinner. In the last few years, Paul has gained a huge television following as one of the Chasers, a select band of champion quizzers whose brutal job it is to try to prevent contestants winning any money on ITV's afternoon quiz show, The Chase. This has been a big hit with viewers and some of the contestants, and it has spawned the even bigger evening show Beat the Chasers. But in addition to being able to recall facts and figures at the drop of a buzzer, Paul has many years' experience as a stand-up comedian at the Edinburgh Festival and elsewhere, and combines comedy and comprehensive knowledge in the programmes he presents on Radio 4. And even that is only the half of it, as Paul is also a qualified doctor of medicine. So, Paul, you've probably got many more things than most of us you can call to mind from which you can select your seven wonders. But were you born with a great memory or is a power of retention and recall? Is that something you can train to get better and better? I mean, does anybody uh, know what they were born with? I've got absolutely no idea. <laughs> um, I don't really remember the whole process. Uh, but I well, you know, like have... runners have to have a good anatomy, Na- but they make yes, themselves course, faster yeah. and faster by, by training every day. Um, I don't train, and my brain is a, is a weird organ that, that remembers things for different reasons. I think if there's, a, if there's a generalism that links the things I can remember, it's stuff that you knew or first knew when you were a kid. Yeah. I think that's the stuff that sticks. Um, to give an example, the German singer Nena had a hit with 99 Red Balloons <laughs> in 1984, and everybody I know of my age could remember that she sang with hairy armpits on top of the pops. <laughs> it's just something that when people remember they saw it, yeah. and they just remember it. But that's not a question you want to get on, on the chase, isn't it? No, no, Who it's had not. Hairy but armpits but on... what I was saying is stuff that we learned when we were developing yeah. seems to stick in the brain for reasons we don't really understand, and I don't think the research has been done. Right. Um, whether I've got a good memory or not, you better obviously better than average. Otherwise, I wouldn't be where I am now. Yeah. But whether I'm as good as whether my memory is as good as other quizzes or not is is a moot point. I think it's a well, mixture of training it- and and hard work. Well, it's an intriguing mixture of skills that you've got. Uh, when you're a, a doctor, uh, presumably you could uh, you could tell somebody their diagnosis, remember some famous people who've uh, had that particular condition, <laughs> and make a joke about it while you Espe- were... Especially if it's gout or syphilis. <laughs> yes. um, 
but yeah, I know what you mean. And was there a time when you were doing all three, you know, working as a doctor during the day, a bit of stand-up comedy at the weekend, but, I don't know, going along to a pub quiz on a Monday evening and wiping the floor not, with the opposition? Not really. The serious, the serious quizzing started in about 2009, and that was after I'd basically taken a step back from medicine, so not really. Mm. And can I ask you a relatively serious question? Um, as it happens, I'm married to a doctor, and I'm proud to boast that she's a very good doctor, but she's not a very good patient. Um, how, you know, she you know, doesn't really take to other people treating her very well. They're always anxious about the worst things. And can I ask you that? Are you a, are you a good patient? I'm doing I'm that because I know you've had a, 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 um, a pretty poor diagnosis recently of Parkinson's disease. Yeah, it's been a tough old couple of years, but I'm the opposite of your wife, you'll be pleased to know. And that I was never that good a doctor, but I'm a very good patient. <laughs> well, that's comforting. Well, let's get on to your uh, let's get on to your wonders. Uh, now, the first wonder on your list is a is a work of art. Yes, um, it's a Caravaggio painting that's contained within a small chapel in Rome, and these are very personal answers. And what's interesting is that when you mentioned the Great Barrier Reef and the Grand Canyon in your introduction, yeah. before I started this podcast, I turned to my husband and I said. To be honest, if I was being totally honest, it would be the Great Barrier Reef and the Grand Canyon. But I wanted to be a little bit less predictable. Well, um, certainly this is not predictable because, I mean, there are lots of art, works of art in the world, obviously. This is, uh, well, it's, it's acknowledged as a masterpiece, but uh, there could be thousands of others you might have gone for. Why, why that particular one? Why this one is very specific. In January, uh, well, the beginning of January 2019, um, I went to Rome with the... Uh, with the purpose of proposing to my then boyfriend. Yes. Uh, and I asked for advice about what to see. And a very good friend of mine called Catherine Johnson, who knows that I love Caravaggio, recommended this, uh, this painting in the ch small chapel that you've got to go and see called the calling. Um, you've got to work hard to find. Yeah. It's not in a big art gallery. It's in a small chapel. Uh, and I'm not an expert on art, but I love chiaroscuro, the contrast between dark, darkness and, and light that Caravaggio does so well. And it was amazing to just sit uh, and be dazzled by a painting with only like 10 other people there Yes, because it was in a small chapel, but also knowing that in 20 minutes' time you're going to propose to your boyfriend. <laughs> made it, even, it made it even more evocative. The calling of St. Matthew, um, St. Matthew get, you know, receives his, um, his calling, and it felt at that time that my calling was to do the right thing. And 20 minutes later, inspired by the sheer majesty and beauty of what I saw, I actually nailed my proposal. Uh, not When I say nailed it, I mean I did it well. I don't mean like Martin Luther, that I nailed it, <laughs> nailed it to a cathedral door. Yeah. Um, and so it, re it reminds me of a really happy day in my life. Well, I, I'm, I'm, concluding, I'm concluding from this that he said yes. Oh, otherwise. he did say yes, yes. <laughs> uh, he didn't say, no, I've always hated Caravaggio. Um, yeah. he, he, he said yes. Uh, and, and but it was. I think it's with art. You can see something in an art gallery, and that's fine. But if you have to do a little bit of work to find it, it makes it all the more special. Yeah, I think it was painted to be there. There are two. Uh, there are two other Caravaggios dealing with the life of Matthew there as well. Yes, absolutely. And I, I can't tell you how. If 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 light and shade is your thing, mm. I can't tell you how spectacular. I can't put it, I'm not clever enough to put it into words, but it was very much a case of, oh my good God. Yes. It, 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 uh, it hits you just straight between the eyes. And, and do the 
religious aspects of it strike you as well because the, the it's the light as represented in an artwork but it's it's Jesus bringing the light to the world and and addressing Matthew well of course and uh, and I'm I'm a committed atheist who has to accept that so much of the world's great art and culture is religiously inspired uh, and I have no problem with that whatsoever the village of Porto Ercole lies on the south coast of Monte Argentario in Italy and unlike most other towns in Tuscany, nothing happened in it for centuries. In fact, Porto Ercole only ever entered once, and very briefly, into what we are pleased to call the history of culture. Because it was here upon July 18th, 1610, that one of the greatest of all Italian painters, Michelangelo Merisi da Caravaggio, died. People had, in fact, been trying to kill him for several months, but he died of mistaken identity. Now, your second uh, wonder, though, takes us not to Rome, but to York. And this is uh, uh, even more intriguing, I think. Ah, uh, this is the uh, York Opera House uh, in, um, in York, where I spent the most intriguing month of my life, I think, being Abenaza in the York Opera House's production of Aladdin in 2016. Oh, now, it's um, So it's not comedy and it's not high art. It's the experience of being the worst member of the cast. It was a very humbling thing to go through because we're picked as... Um, the chasers often get offered panto work because of the, the sort of cod villainy, cod villainy of the characters that we play on the show. Yes. Uh, and I had no acting experience whatsoever. And whatever a triple threat is, I am the sort of negative... The negative... To, but I thought to myself, it's all right. Bad actors do panto. It's fine. It will be fun. Yeah. Uh, and then when you start getting the reviews come in, uh, and it, they keep saying, and the weakest member of the cast is, <laughs> and it keeps becoming a, uh, a familiar theme, you, you have to switch to another mode. And the other mode was enjoying every second of doing something that I'd never done before in my life. And yeah. thanks to my illness, we'll never do again because I won't have the physical fitness. It was being Aladdin at the York Opera House for the whole of December 2016. And I just loved it. I, <laughs> once you get the idea that you're never going to be good at it, but you, but you strive to be the best you can be, yeah. it just becomes an altogether different thing. And I don't know if you've done Panto or seen Panto, but there are basically two different audiences. Yeah. There are the school kids who are taking the story very, very seriously indeed. Yes. And there are the adults who want to hear some filthy innuendo and jokes. Yes. Um, and it's, you learn, you know, when you do the mornings, the matinees to the kids, and you try out some jokes and you get absolute silence from mm. the kids. It builds up your strength and sta your, your 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 psychological stamina. To because you, I mean, all professional comedians have bad gigs, but you're not used to getting absolutely nothing every single morning of your life. Do kids or did kids know who you were? Were they? It's are they hard viewers? to it's hard to say, but it was incredible to be booed as soon as you walked onto stage. <laughs> it's a fantastic it's a fantastic thing, yeah. but I've never been part of anything like it in my life. By which I mean part of a large product a large collective production of people with various skills and it it was i found it a very humble very humbling thing but the surroundings were beautiful this victorian theater this this living the living the life 
of somebody in theatre, albeit for a month, uh, was a genuinely joyous thing. How everybody was so supportive. How I got to meet minor celebrities. Sorry, I shouldn't say minor yeah. celebrities. How I got who, to meet. Who was in the pantomime with you? There was Suzanne Shaw from uh, Hearsay, who yeah. was a, a phenomenal performer, and Fraser Hines, the star of Emmerdale and Doctor Who from back in the day. All right. Who was a phenomenal um, friend. And, <laughs> and then there was all these people. We've got no, oh Debbie McGee, of course. Debbie, there was oh, a lovely right. Debbie McGee. Yeah. So it was a um, it was great fun meeting the stars. I think it you was, could call it an all star cast based on that. I and, think so. Yeah. You, yeah. Uh, but it was even better meeting the people who are twenty million times better than me, but were never going to get the credit. The professional dancers, yeah. and particularly the professional dame, whose timing and and understanding of what's required from a professional dame is only Steve Wickenden. Yeah. Um, it's just phenomenal, and you, and you kind of realise how unfair entertainment is. But it's not always the shit. The really, really, really talented ones that rise to the top, yeah. and that I was getting, I was getting stronger billing simply for being good at general knowledge. <laughs> it's, it's, it's <laughs> well, I do like a, I do like a pantomime. I can thoroughly recommend uh, Clive Rowe as, as a dame. He's often on at the uh, uh, Hackney Empire uh, most Christmases, and uh, pantomimes with him in it. Are, and he does provide a triple threat. He can sing, he can dance, he's very funny, and he makes a magnificent-looking dame. Uh, but what eventually what you realise was you're in a beautiful theatre with amazing people, making people laugh and enjoy a, 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 in a beautiful city. York is, a, is, a, a, is, is an extraordinary city, and December is when it comes alive, really. Yeah. When the weather gets a bit cold... And you walk the street, you, you know, you start walking all the medieval streets, and you just realise it doesn't matter that you got bad reviews. You are having the time of your life, and that's exactly what I had. It was the most enjoyable month of my life. Panto, it's just bonkers. It's the crop. The, the captain's going into shock. Does anybody know CPR? Don't worry, I know the whole alphabet. Uh, Pantomime is a huge tradition all over the UK. Only the UK has it. And it is it just sums up the entire spirit of Christmas. The lights are on full, it's fast, it's furious, it's funny, hopefully. So, uh, let's go on to your next uh, wonder, if we may, um, which is, uh, well, I don't know, you, you probably know where it is, so you, you, it's, a, it's a place. Yeah, so no one will know what Corda is, but it's a small town... Um, just outside the outskirts of Calcutta. Mm. Uh, my background is West Bengali. My my mum, my dad was from the city of Calcutta, and my mum was from Kodaha, which is a small town on the outskirts of Calcutta. You're calling it Calcutta. It's I think I think we're supposed to pronounce it Kolkata. Kolkata, yes. I mean, yeah. I'm just very bad at pronouncing stuff. Uh, and all through my life, I've been um, revisiting. Uh, West Bengal to see my um, my relatives, and I've developed not a not a knowledge or understanding of India particularly, but a, a hatred of stereotyping. Mm. I find that the media depiction of India is is so saccharine and far from the truth. And you you watch things like the Real Marigold Hotel, and you sit there, you go, for a start, none of these people are going to move to India. Secondly, they're not in India. 
They're in a luxury hotel in some, you know, they're not actually in India. And Calcutta is an extreme version of what India represents in terms of the poverty and the noise and the genuine sort of constant life that takes place 24 hours a day. And Kodha, where my mum is from, is just a little piece of paradise. Mm. It's quiet. It's about an hour train journey from the middle of Calcutta. And you get off the train and you go into a rickshaw and the rickshaw driver takes you to my mum's house and it's the wind blows into your face and you get to see a laid-back version of the real India to your left and to your right, working people, not working people, uh, cows, sheep, etc. That sort of real, in, real working, living India. And then you get to my mum's house, and it's a two-story house next to a fishing, a sort of fishing lake with mango trees and coconut trees. And you go into the house, and you just fall asleep for the rest of the day. Mm. And it's my it's my nomination for my little piece of paradise. It didn't. I mean, from a pragmatic point of view, it didn't used to be my little piece of paradise. But luckily, my mum's brother got a well-paid job in America and funded the renovation and the modernization of the house so that it actually involves not just mango trees and coconut trees and a little fishing lake, but also some home comforts as well. And um, I I find it very difficult in India if I don't have what I call toilet comforts. Yes. This house has toilet comforts. Uh, and it's also a contrast with my mum's family, who are very un—what's the word? Untouched uh, compared mm. to my dad's family, who are a little bit more cynical. It's—it's—it's uh, it's, it's big city versus small town, and I choose small town every time when it comes to India. What it is, is it's India. Yeah, and it's—it's a—it's—I—I as I said, I get really annoyed. When India is just portrayed as the extremes, yes, Kodha is just a normal town, but my mum happens to live in a particularly picturesque part of it, or my mum's family do. I have made a documentary about Calcutta on television a few years ago. Wow, I had no idea. And and a bit more recently, I did a radio documentary about a, what for me was an intriguing court case about the founding of the city, which was traditionally uh, attributed to Job Charnock from the East India Company, and it was celebrated on the 24th of August from 1690 when he founded it. But a court case was launched by the family of the people who owned the land that he started the East India Company's uh, property on to say he should not be recognised as the founder of the city. It, it existed, pre-existed him, and anyway, he died within a couple of years after that. And the High Court in uh, in Calcutta, Kolkata, uh, decided that yes, he no, he should not be recognised anymore as the founder of the city, and the and the holiday was duly abolished. That so, is the uh, most classic Calcutta thing I've ever heard. I think <laughs> Kolkata. Three hundred years ago, on August twenty fourth, sixteen ninety, Mr. Job Charnock of the British East India Company dropped anchor in the Hooghly River, eighty miles upstream from the Bay of Bengal. In malarial swampland and jungle, Charnock set up the trading post which was to become Calcutta, capital of the Raj and the second city of the British Empire.
Well, we stay in that sort of area with your fourth uh, wonder, um, which is a foodstuff. Yes, it's. Um, uh, I, I I used to do a routine about on stage about how if you ever want to see somebody, uh, if you ever want to see racism, you want to see the look on my mum's face when a white person says they've just cooked a curry. Um, and this this reflects uh, a generation, my mum and dad's generation's culinary skills and love and devotion that's gone into making sure that every single part of the culinary experience is spot on. And this reaches its zenith with my mum and dad. Well, I, should, I always used to say my mum's, but actually uh, my dad's and my mum both cook the most extraordinary lamb biryani. And if you don't believe me, whenever I have my birthday at my house, people come round because of the lamb biryani. At my mum and dad's house, people come round for the lamb yeah. biryani. That's well, they the, may come round to see you since it's your birthday. It, it's a possibility, but I very mm. much get the impression it's the biryani. Uh, and what is great about this is there's 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 a background to it. Uh, the the great uh, lamb biryanis. Uh, uh, were made by the the the, the Mughals and the the other the Indian Muslims, and as a stroke of luck, my mum and dad befriended a West Bengal's first female gynaecologist, a, a woman called Dr. Anwara Khatun, and she taught um, my mum and a generation of my mum's friends how to cook from the start the perfect lamb biryani. And it takes devotion, and it takes attention to detail. And it's the sort of thing, you know, when um, Proust had his Madeleine or whatever, um, it's the sort of thing that uh, that sort of doesn't just illuminate a childhood, but at- utterly dominates a childhood um, in the sense of this is as good as food ever gets. And it really is. It's got a 100% hit rate with all the people that have ever turned up at my mum and dad's house over the decades, and it's a culinary triumph. And it, it can't really be uh, replicated in a restaurant because the part of the culinary triumph is the hours of preparation that go into it, um, meaning that well, it's something that restaurants can't really replicate. Well, I was going to ask. I was going to ask you that. Um, obviously, there are a lot of restaurants called Indian restaurants um, around London, around the whole country. Every small village has an Indian restaurant. Virgie. Um sometimes the people serving there are cooking in there are from India or Bangladesh, which is obviously very also sort of part of the Bengal area. But and to us, to people you know who haven't had parents cooking for us at home in this way, it, it seems tasty food. But would you or your parents go to one of those restaurants and say, this is absolutely nothing like what it's supposed to be like? Well, it's interesting because um, I think when you get good enough at cooking food yourself, you'll only go to restaurants if they do something that you don't do. Mm. So ben, the, the, apart from the treats of the lamb biryani, Bengali, Bengali cooking is actually relatively mundane. It's based on fish and it's based on fish and vegetables and rice. When I say fish, if, I, mean, you, I don't know if you've had it yourself when you were in Calcutta, a sort of mustardy, not really my thing fish that's the staple diet of West Bengal. Um, so my parents would go to restaurants not to have curries, yes. but to have tandoori food, yes. because that's not really a big part of West West Bengali cuisine, or veget- or South Indian vegetarian food. Bengalis are big fans of a dosa, 
Um, right. So it, it's very much, they're not going to go to a restaurant and go, I could do this better myself. Yeah. They want to eat food that they couldn't do better themselves. And so West Bengalis tend to pick preferentially Chinese food over Indian food when they go out dining. Um, Chinese culturally Chinese food is massive with my community. Well, and of course, there's lots of foodstuffs now that people aren't that sure whether they're really Indian or, for that matter, Chinese, or whether they've been developed in in the restaurants in 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 this case in Britain. So that uh, you know, chicken tikka masala or Balti cooking is that something that, or, or just a thing called curry? We might be served. It might <laughs> well, have almost it, no relation to what it started out. It's all very tasty, but anyone who says that their favourite dish is chicken tikka masala. Is somebody that I would never add or follow on fa- on Facebook or Twitter. <laughs> if, if, if your favourite dish is chicken tikka masala, you don't know Indian food. It's, it's, no. it's as simple as that. I mean, it's, it's perfectly okay, but there's so much more to be explored and had. I should just ask you: Have you inherited or learnt uh, these cooking skills? So, um, when your parents aren't available to cook it for you, can you knock up a good biryani? There's a, you've set me a challenge. When a question can be answered with just a two-letter word. Do you add any more to the answer? Uh, but the answer is no. Well, unfortunately, I've not inherited any culinary skills whatsoever. But uh, but but well, you haven't inherited the skill, but you could have put some effort into this and and you know tried tried to do it and and so you can recapture those joys late into your own life. I didn't come on this show to be insulted by my <laughs> lack of willpower. <laughs> Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. We better move on then to your um, your fifth uh, wonder, which is a musical wonder. Your, your favourite song changes all the time. If you'd ask me, I mean, I've done a few of these things where people ask, uh, "What's your favourite yeah. song?" or "What's your favourite ten songs?" or, for my word, it changes all the time, and and it it could be a bit of Springsteen or Prince or, but the Petrol Boys were, as somebody growing up gay in the nineteen eighties. The Petrol Boys were the beginning, the middle, and the end of my love of pop music. Yes, and even now I feel that they are, although they're seen as a, a grand dame, if you like, of, of, of British pop music. I don't think they still have the credit they deserve for the relentless quality of their songs. Um, and the one that really hit me was "Being Boring," just because 
it's just a hymn to not being boring. It's 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 a hymn. It's it's an age-related song about loss and and love and life and looking back. And there's a line: uh, I I never dreamt that I would get to be the creature that I always meant to be, but I thought, in spite of dreams, you'd be sitting somewhere here with me. And that loss, that that kicker at the end, mm. where he's looking back on his life and he's not with the person who informed his life is a real. It, it it gets me every time, as does just the whole idea of living a life. Um, I suppose this is to do with Parkinson's as well, mm. in the sense that, that that song has become become even more emotive for me. But I think it's really important that we don't waste our time on this planet. That we try and achieve as much as we can possibly achieve within the limits of our ability and our finance and our willpower. And just the line, we were never being boring, is just a simple, straightforward life plan that I think we should all adopt. We were never being boring. Oh, it's a great song. Yeah. As far, it's a, it's a, it's a, by their standards, the chord progressions and, and melodies are, are, are more complex than usual. They're, they're, there's a lot of... Um, it's a great song. It's a fantastic video. It's probably not as well known or as appreciated, maybe as "It's a Sin" or "West End Girls." Always on my mind. Go west. All those. I mean, they have some huge hits. In which case, Jonathan Harvey should go and make a TV show called "Being Boring," because that's <laughs> that, that's uh, how uh, Pet Shop Boys shows uh, songs get remembered these days. And um, no, it's not one of their bigger hits. It's that said, it's not one of their lesser hits either. It's no. It's, it's mid-range in terms of success, yeah. um, but it was when you know they started off with, with lyric. They started off their career with lyrics that were just accompaniments to pop songs as much as anything else, uh, and then they got more and more sophisticated. And I've, are there any number of songs with the Pet Shop Boys that I could have picked? Yeah, um, uh, and I just happened to pick this one on the grounds that it was this week and not last week. Oh, I mean, no, I'm not, I'm not pushing you off it. I mean, I, I'd, I'd come, you don't have to be gay to appreciate the no, Pet Shop Boys. They are, I, they were I, a fantastic. I hope not, no. No, no, but I mean, they were, they were quite a phenomenal. I, I wonder if you've bumped into, in particular, Neil Tennant, who's a very outgoing person. You might have bumped into and been able to compliment him on his lyrics and, and, I, the, and I, the song. I'd kill to meet Neil Tennant. And I'd yeah. also like to say that... Um, I was meant to uh, be at the at a Petrol Boys concert on my fiftieth birthday last year. Uh, somehow the, everything had collided in a serendipitous fashion, and I was going to go and see the Petrol Boys live on my fiftieth birthday. And then this damn virus came along and thrown everything into into yes. into, into disorder. So um, I'm waiting to see the Petrol. I have seen them live, yeah, and it's interesting seeing them live because they've got some great new tracks. But the audience, are my age and above. Yes. And they've really just come for the 80s. They really have just come for the 80s and 90s. <laughs> and you sing um, along with them when, when they're performing? Oh, God, yes, absolutely. But I, yes. I, I adore them. Um, absolutely adore them. I mean, if ever there's been a a band that were made for a person's life, life yes. it would have been the Petra Boys and me in terms of growing up, growing up, A, gay, and B, with an absolute love of melodic electronic pop. Oh. And, uh, and growing up gay, was that... 
straightforward in terms of uh, possible in your community, in your school, in your um, Is anything straightforward, Clive? No, I mean... Well, I don't know. I mean, just if somebody... You're a bit younger than I am, but in, in my sort of era and a bit, bit older... Uh, it was obviously fantastically complicated in terms of the law, in terms of acceptance. And I'm imagining that things have moved on a lot now and may have done by the time you were a teenager. I don't know. Uh, things have certainly moved on. I mean, there's no doubt that coming out to my dad was the sort of the, the sort of fulcrum of everything that's happened in my life. When you, when you grew up in a relatively conservative Bengali family and you know there's no chance that you're ever not going to be gay, Hmm. Uh, and you know that this moment has to come at some stage. You don't know how life is going to pan out. And the other day I had an argument with my, my husband in front of my dad, and my dad took his side. That's how <laughs> much he loves my husband. He just took his side. Yeah. Um, well, so, that's, that's some, it, something of a comfort, I suppose. That, no, absolutely. Maybe. No, absolutely. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, thought it was, I thought it was cute. I really yeah. did. So how, uh, how long did you put it off, if I'm getting... Oh, a long this. time. Yeah. Um, <laughs> 30, 35 I was when it actually happened. Yes, and he kind he kind of guessed as he, as you know as intelligent people do. If you never come home with a girlfriend, eventually the, the thought occurs to you. Yeah. There's only so much. There's only so long you can go. I just haven't found the right woman yet, mm. uh, and it'd be a convincing cover story. Yes. Um, so he he found out. Yeah. So it sounds like you were. In one sense, a dutiful son. You get on well with your parents. You became a doctor, uh, which is what they would have wanted. Uh, uh, I became a doctor because it's what they would have wanted. Yes. I think it's fair to say. It was never yes. my skill set. Oh, right. So you you, de- you didn't even want to do it. I think you were at Dulwich School. Is that, is that right? Dulwich College, yeah. yeah, yeah. D- d- sorry, Dulwich College, uh, which is a fine sort of independent school, a private school in South London. Uh, indeed, a very... I was, I was about to say very posh, very posh for South London, probably not very posh for other schools charging what they charge. Uh, because because by the definition of being in South London, there's only so posh you can ha- you can be without it be, being burnt down by rival schools. So, it, it, <laughs> Well, it, it's it, a day school rather than a boarding school in the countryside. It's predominantly day school, yeah, yeah. So in competition with, I don't know, St Paul's School, City of London it, School, City of London, that, that sort of... Alain's, St Paul's, yeah. Yes. Whitgift. But um, but I get the impression because I've known people who've uh, been there. Quite an academic school, quite a f- forceful school in in looking for good exam results and things like that. Absolutely, yes. And did that leave you um, encouraged uh, in you know t- taking you on to your various careers, or troubled by the forcing it's, nature of it all? You know what? I didn't know what I'd get asked uh, at this point, and it's all so complicated. If I could, if I can just. Put it into simplistic terms. I'm not a scientist. I've never been a scientist. I was never. I was never where my skill set lay. But because I'm from a family of scientists, that was where I was always guided. And so, me being a comedian and me being a quizzer, and me being this is me fight slowly fighting my way out of the scientist box, right, and into the non-scientist box. Yes, but it's probably been quite useful for you as a quizzer because. You say you can remember stuff you're interested in, but I'm sure you can remember, you know, the periodic table and the cranial nerves and things like that because you had to do it uh, as part of your studies. Well, it's interesting because the cranial nerves, there's 12 of them, and I know they begin ooh, 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 and then I start getting very confused. Whereas the periodic table I actually learned last year in an exercise called Can I Hula Hoop while reciting the entire periodic table. 
Uh, and so I know the inside periodic table as a result of that. Yes. It was like an, it was like an anti-Parkinson's exercise in learning to hula hoop whilst right. reciting the periodic table. And I eventually did it. There's, there's a video of me online of, right. of, of me reciting the entire periodic table while hula hooping. That's the and which was harder, to learn the periodic table or to do the hula hooping? Um, approximately equal, I'd say. Yeah. Approximately equal. So, so, so can I just ask you about the Parkinson's? Is that, uh, I mean, obviously it's a dreadful diagnosis. You're very young to, to get such a diagnosis. That, does that immediately interfere with your capacity to recall um, facts or is that something way into the future? I hope not. My, my, quiz, my quiz results have been very good and it's not, it's not, um, it's more of a physical diagnosis than, yeah. a, than, than, than a brain diagnosis. So it's going to get uh, in the way of your hula hooping, but not your periodic table. I mean, I, I, that's what I take, to be perfectly honest with you. I was never a Daily Thompson. Um, <laughs> I, and I, I'm, as long as my brain remains sharp, I'm, I'm, I'll be very happy. I'll take a complete disintegration of my physical, of my mm. physical ability, make sure, as long as my brain was still sharp. All right. So uh, that, was, that was being boring, and I don't think you're being boring. Uh, but you have a film now as a, as a wonder. At least I think it's the film. Groundhog Day. Yes, it, it's it's not the festival. No, um, I, I, I don't I don't really care for amateur meteor meteorology. It's not my thing. Uh, Groundhog Day is it's, it's just one of those films that a lot of people have as one of their favourite films. Um, and I think I, I you know I can't claim to be a sophisticated cineast whose list of uh, favourite films involves Satyajit Ray and Fellini and and etc etc i'm a guy that likes a film with an element of fantasy and an element of a message and it's always good fun when you watch a film to watch a character slowly realize that he's part of a fantasy mm. I, I always think that's 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 quite good fun uh but it's the way this it's the way that the the film slowly shows you that self that, that whatever Situation you find yourself in, self improvement is an option. Mm. It, it's it, it and it's not too cloying with it, and it's got this fantastic central performance from Bill Murray because it is the absolute opposite of somebody who um, he comes across as the absolute opposite of somebody for whom self improvement is even remotely on his agenda. And I just think it's just done in a really nice way, and the surprise it's surprisingly sentimental by the, by the end in a quite a cynical film. But it appeals to, I think, all of us in the sense of what would we do if we got another go at it? Yes. I think it particularly, I mean, I think I'm from a community of quizzes that feel that every single morning after a quiz before where they made a silly mistake at that that basic level. Oh, I'd have won if I just said that. Yes. And that's the uh, absolute most basic level of it. But it gives people a fantasy. I'm very much a passionate believer in the concept of self-improvement. The idea that you're, that you've, you've reached a point where you can't get any better as a human being is the most arrogant, narcissistic possible thing you could possibly believe in my opinion. Mm. Uh, How on earth, how on earth do you honestly think you you have no room for improvement at all? And I think that um, Groundhog Day is the sort of funny version of that fairly, fairly unfunny message, which is, um, yeah, of course, we, we, we've got we got ways that we could, we can could improve. Yeah, 
Uh, I but, like uh, I like the thing about films is that uh, great films, classic films, are made almost never. Do people realise they're going to be making a classic film? No, uh, of it's just not. yet yeah. another film that's come along. They've battled to get the finance. They got to guess you know a star to be in it, and then they've pulled up, and then they've got and they, so you've got Bill Murray and he's got Andy McDowell, and uh, away they go making it. And uh, I think Bill Murray had some doubts about the script and the way it was going, and only realised afterwards that he'd made he'd been in. One of the one of his best films, and it's not even a particularly ambitious film. It doesn't it doesn't cover that many it doesn't cover that many options or solutions or anything. It's just pitched at the right level of ambition and doesn't yeah. overstay its welcome. And it just goes, "Here's the thing, you know, wouldn't it be great to have another go? Yeah. Have a think about have a think about what you do." I mean, well, I'll say this now. Uh, when I think back to um, the things that I've done in my life, um, the one, the only thing I can think of where I'd go, I would definitely never have done that, is that I spent a long time as a gambling addict. And I can't think of any... Where's all the other mistakes that you made in your life? There's usually some good that came of it, mm. indirectly. Somebody you, you, you then met that became your, one of your best friends or a path that you'd never have taken if this bit hadn't gone wrong or this bit hadn't gone wrong. Um, I look back and I think, I wish I'd never gambled. I wish I'd never walked into a bookmaker's shop and thought to myself, yes, of course, I know which greyhound's likely to finish yeah. likely to finish first. And so I have this big thing in my life about um, the difference between mistakes you made that, that came that, from which good came out of it yeah, and mistakes you made from which no good came out of it whatsoever. So, what sort of what sort of stage in your life did that happen? How how long were you a, a gambling addict for, and when did it start? Uh, sort of uh, late in, for about fifteen years, yeah. about ninety five to twenty ten, I think. And what I found extraordinary is I didn't do anything; it just went away. I didn't see any. I didn't see any counsellors. I didn't go and. Really sort of and you just lost step. all your money, and then there was, you had to well, stop. Well, there is that, but uh, just lost all my interest. I think when the internet came along and serious quizzing, I just I, don't, I wasn't bored anymore. When I started taking quizzing seriously, suddenly I had thought, why the hell would I be sat in a Ladbrokes betting on the 423 from Walthamstow when I could be sat at home reading about Ottoman sultans? Yeah. Um, and it's, it's just, I think, I think a lot of people do things for boredom. That's where drug you know, to relieve boredom. That's what the big source of drug addiction is, of course. Yeah. It's, it's people searching for a, for a bigger high. Once I started getting highs from just learning facts, my whole life changed. Can I just go back to the film? Because I, 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 what I found, just to just discuss it slightly further, is that it's interesting that what works in Hollywood is that people get these strange powers or you relive your life and yet what the person in it the protagonist in it almost always uses it for is to try and get the girl that he wants yes that's that's, that's true of groundhog day and god almighty jim carrey becomes god and that and his main uh, aim i think i'm not i'm not a big um enthusiast for jim carrey films he's he's seeking after the girl um yes all the powers he's got of course that that basic plot is the is the driving force of most hollywood movies isn't it but uh, yeah but yeah, I, I like I like uh, I like a film with a slightly arch fantasy element. Groundhog time. A thousand people freezing their butts off, waiting to worship a rat. Weatherman Phil Connors is spending the day in Puxatawney, Pennsylvania. Phil, mad. 
Man Ryerson, I did the whistling belly button trick at the high school talent show. Bing! Bing! But Phil's about to find out. He's not just stuck in Puxatawney. Will you be checking out today, Mr. Connors? Chance of departure today, 100%. He's stuck... In Groundhog Day. I'm reliving the same day over and over. Bill? Ned Ryerson? Bang! Do you ever have deja vu, Mrs. Lancaster? I don't think so, but I could check with the kitchen. Well, it's Groundhog Day again. We've got through almost all of your um, wonders, but we've got one last one. So what's your last wonder? Oh, joy, joy, joy. So um, as you can probably tell... Um, from my, my life history thus far, I wasn't a particularly outgoing kid. Um, I was academically driven. I captained the chess team. I was playing for the general knowledge team. And very proudly, actually, I, we reached the final of the, Lon- the London Mathematics Championships with me and the maths team. No one would have predicted that I'd be sat... No one back then would have, been, would have predicted that I'd be sat here with you discussing a career in entertainment uh, several decades later. But it all changed with the bar at St. George's Hospital Medical School. It's, it's the same bar, incidentally, that, um, that Har- Harry Hill discovered that he was a funny man back in, a long, back in whenever it was. It's the same bar that current Taskmaster contestant Mike Wozniak uh, discovered that he was a funny man. We've got a rich heritage of stand-up, yes. st- stand-up comedians. No, I'm impressed. I mean, doctors generally have quite a good heritage. Of uh, there's Graham Garden, Graham Graham Chapman, um, Rob Buckman. You may not may or may yeah. not have heard of. There's quite a lot of doctors, as you mentioned, Harry Hill, perhaps the perhaps the preeminent one in terms of going into comedy of recent years. And uh, is, are you just the renegades who are finding it difficult or distressed by the the diseases? I'm not. I'm not sure what it is because none of us will have anything particularly in common. So I'm not sure what it is. But this George's the bar at the St George's Hospital Medical School is essentially where I discovered to learn to love life. It's where I made so many of my friends. It's where I spent time comatose on the floor. Uh, singing karaoke, winning pub quizzes, winning, taking fleecing money out of quiz machines. I, as you know, medical students, perhaps they have a more exaggerated uh, attachment to their alma mater on the grounds they're there for donkey's years mm. as opposed to the three-year degree course. I was a student at St. George's Hospital Medical School for six and a half years. Yes. That's six and a half years of me having the time of my life um, in this particular area, and there was a nice. There was this. I I I came to medical school as a shy, never been drunk, socially awkward, chess player slash general knowledge obsessive, and I left as a. I left the medical school, having been thrown out twice, having failed a multiplicity of exams having wept tears, I couldn't get a boyfriend. Uh, who knows how many people I would have drunkenly come out to over that period, how many times I was sung, you were always on my mind at karaoke, yeah. watched watched comedy, um, eventually performed comedy much later on. Um, and then two years ago, I was informed that they named the stage at the George's Hospital Bar the Paul Sinha stage. 
Oh, fantastic. And for a medical school to do that for somebody who is whatever the opposite is of academic <laughs> was, was a really, was a really great honor. And the feeling is absolutely mutual. I just had six and a half years of the best possible years of my life uh, in that bar uh, going, evolving, if, if, if it is evolution, rather than just morphing, um, from shy to confident gay man, comfortable in his own skin. And I remember when I eventually, <laughs> when I eventually stumbled over the line with a, with a final exam, uh, reset re, re um, of obstetrics and gynecology, my dad came and bought everybody drinks to celebrate that night in the bar. Um, and it's just, uh, I mean, and I think it's really good that I don't revisit the place very often. I think that the memories of the memories are very important. Mm. And I don't think you should, I think that fundamentally you should move on and don't get caught in a, in, in a massive nostalgia. And I, I, I maybe go once every two or three years, uh, for an event of, of an event of some description. And that's mm. kind of it. But to be, have a the stage named after me, uh, when, from an academic point of view, I couldn't have been further from who they'd want to name it. I couldn't be, you know, the, I was no Edward Jenner. I think, <laughs> I don't think I'll ever get a wing of the medical school or hospital named after me. But you did practice as a as a doctor, you as, did... a G, as a GP, yeah. Yeah. But I just thought it was, it was just really nice to be recognised, and I can't, you know, I can't. I'm mean, sure you're the same with um um with your university years. They do make you. Yes. And I'm, I'm, you know, and I'm utterly shocked at how much human development there's been since I left medical school. Because I thought that was it. Well, once, once you complete a degree course, you've, you've passed the test. You're a human being. Go out, yeah. go out and, be, and you, you don't realise that uh, there's so much more left to learn. <laughs> there's so much more left to learn about life. Well, that's intriguing to think of you in, in making that development. It's- swatty kid at school not really settling into medicine but coming out as a person in those years in the bar but uh, you just mentioned in passing you didn't do you didn't do comedy there were you not in the med sock review or or things like that those are rumbacious oh rumbunches. yeah I, I, actually to be fair to be fair i did do comedy in that sense i meant stand-up but I, I did write an entire review which i think um towards the end of my career med, my career as a student I did write an entire review and uh, took part in the reviews. So the medical review in St. George's, they still got a big reputation. As in they, they, they visit Edinburgh for a week every year. They're still yeah. very attached to that medical school review. But I've seen Harry Hill on a video back from 1980. It would have been 1987. Yeah. He, uh, with, with the um, tragedy, no longer with us, Matt Bradstock-Smith, if you remember him, his former comedy partner. Yeah. And they they were a different level. I mean, they really were a different level of humour. There was just so much funnier than anything you might imagine from a medical school review. Well, he's he's always been an extraordinary performer, Harry Hill. Uh, but medsoc reviews are normally rude and about physical functions and 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 stuff like that, which amuses medical about, students. I'm not about to blow your mind and, and tell you that's not the case. <laughs> uh, they still are. Yeah. And when you got going doing stand up yourself, when you could do do what you liked, um, uh, I've, I've seen a note about your just in Wikipedia about uh, you constantly you had lots of puns, lots of jokes about your 
um, your racial background and your sexuality. That was th- those provided you with uh, material to to work with. I think that anybody that starts out in comedy, well, it was a different world. Uh, but I just remember thinking, got to make an impression, mm. uh, because it's uh, that's all I thought. It's got to make an impression, and so my my jokes were crude and unrepeatable, and lacking any kind of sophistication, and really so totally different from the comedian that I am now, which is storytelling, personal storytelling, and uh, and and personal anecdotes. I mean, it, I mean, don't get me wrong; there were some good jokes there, but. Um, it's just not who I am as a comedian now. Well, uh, I think you comedian... did several. You did several years at Edinburgh, but it was your second one that was a breakthrough. And of course, you took advantage, shamelessly advantage of your name to come up with the title Saint or Sinner. Which yes, is, that's a gift of a name to to, to do. It is, although I, I, to be perfectly honest with you, I think it was called Saint or Sinner for no other reason. I couldn't think of anything. I just <laughs> couldn't think of anything else when I think back to it. But no. It's interesting. The first show I did was about my hatred of the film Love Actually. And for some reason, I thought people would come. But also, in the first show that I did, I didn't want to play the big, I'm a big gay Asian card. I wanted to do something very different. But nobody came. Whereas two years later, when I did the I'm a big gay Asian, um, um, people came. And I'll be honest with you, it was planned. The success in 2006, it was, I had... I. I didn't want to be a GP for much longer and I wanted to do something that would enable me to financially make a break from medicine. Mm. And so it was, it was my big gamble. Got a PR guy, got a decent team with, with us to organize it. But also I tried to be someone that hadn't been seen at Edinburgh before. I was aware that I was going to be the first openly gay Asian comedian, but I was also aware that I was going to be the first openly gay non-camp comedian. And I wanted to do stuff that played on that. And I also wanted to be somebody that talks about ethnicity in a non-stereotypical way, in a true way. The, 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 you know, there's, it's, it's all very well standing on stage going, oh, you wouldn't want me coming to sit next to you on a tube train, that sort, that sort of thing. Yeah. But actually, I just wanted to talk about real stuff. And I, 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 you know, I planned it meticulously Yes. Um, to um, try and become a success, you know, try and use it as a springboard to actually... Because when you're a doctor... I was a do- I was I was a doctor and a comedian for quite a long time at the same time, mm. and there's the financial comfort of being a doctor stems your your creative and financial yeah. ambition. And I didn't realise the degree to which I was I was coasting. Yes, um, and so 2006 was the big one, and it worked. And you know I don't know what serendipitous circumstances meant that they nominated me as opposed to any of the. Uh, other excellent comedians on the sh- on on Edinburgh, but I'm very grateful for that serendipity. Because the next thing you know, there's a, there's my name in the papers, Paul Sinha, gay Asian yeah. doctor. And as you can probably be aware, Radio Four looked at that and went, "We better speak to him." <laughs> <laughs> That's just what we want. Um, well, you mentioned you you postponed coming out to your your father, your your parents about being gay did it did it did you also have to postpone coming out to your family that you you didn't really want to be a doctor having come from a medical background been to school i think they knew i think they've always had a slight sense of guilt about their role their complicity in the whole thing um but really it was the chase that um it was the chase that 
brought inner peace to them. Yeah. Because with Bengalis, it's all about bragging rights. And once your son's on telly, all bets are off. Yeah. Um, my son's on the chase. What, the one who's never going to get married to a woman? <laughs> He's on the telly. Oh, blimey. Uh, Trump's, top Trump's everything. Well, if you're on telly. Well, we're going to have to end there. You, you say Bengalis uh, uh, brag a lot, but you've been uh, modesty personified throughout this uh, discussion <laughs> of your, your wonders. But thank you very much for selecting them. Uh, thank you for sharing your seven wonders with us. Now, I have to choose the wonder of wonders from your list of seven, the one that struck me as particularly wonderful as you described it on this uh, podcast. And I'm having to think quite uh, carefully about this. Um, but I think I'm torn between the calling of St. Matthew and the bar at St. George's Hospital Medical School. And uh, <laughs> I think Caravaggio uh, on, gets... Oddly, oddly yeah. enough, the calling of St. Matthew and the bar at St. George's Hospital Medical School could both be autobiography titles for Harry Hill. <laughs> yes. Well, we're keeping away from Harry Hill. You're the, you're the distinguished graduate of St. George's uh, Medical School. And I think I'll plump for the bar. So I'll, let's go for Why the, not? the bar at St. George's Hospital Medical School. We'll make that your wonder of wonders because it's unlikely to feature on anybody else's uh, list of wonders. But, but who knows? Um, but thank you very much for, for joining us or for joining me today, uh, Paul Sinner. Thank you, Clive. Seven Wonders with Clive Anderson is a Stack production in association with Alaska TV and powered by the Acast Creator Network. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.